You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Finished, The End of the World and Our Way of Living in It. In this series, we see that the powers and principalities of this world are finished, and our depraved way of living in this world is finished. Christ leads us into a new way of being human, and eventually, an entirely new creation. Now hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 27, 11 through 44. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they're testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on one, even one charge so that the governor was quite amazed. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was because of envy that they handed him over. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. The priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, what should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all answered, crucify him. And he said, why, what has he done wrong? but they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that the riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. All the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put on his clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man called Simon. They forced him to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. 
In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, my name's Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so we, it's uh, good to see many of you. For some of you, it's, it's been quite a while. So I'm grateful that you guys are here and uh, grateful that you're worshiping with us. Uh, those of you who are watching uh, online via Facebook or whatever the platform is, uh, grateful that you've uh, given time uh, to tune in and to worship with us uh, here at Sojourn New Albany. The reason why Sojourn New Albany um, does the work that it does, whether it's whenever we gather together um, to worship or whether it's whenever we're scattered throughout um, our neighborhoods and our homes, we do these things because it boils down to kind of three words. We are here to reach people. So we reach, we build, and we send. So we reach people with the gospel. We look to build them up as the church. They are reached with the gospel. We want to see them grow into Christ-likeness and build up as the church. And then we want to send them, send them out in the world, wherever it is that they are, so the world will be a better and more beautiful place. So grateful um, to see many of you. And so uh, I've been out for a little while um, on on sabbatical, but now I guess I'm unsabbaticalized. I don't know what the, if there's a word for that or not. I guess there is now, so I just made it up. But uh, this is what we do on Sunday. We gather together for worship. On Saturday, uh, which was yesterday, my a lot of days run together anymore, but on uh, yesterday, it was my, uh, my nephew. Uh, we were celebrating his birthday, and so we got together and we went to the zoo across the way over there in Louisville. Um, which, just as a side note, going to zoos is not my personal favorite experience um, for a, a variety of reasons, which generally whenever I'm that honest and transparent, people will want to give me reasons why zoos, I should like them or whatever. You know, they people will give, like, they'll give ethical arguments or they'll give whatever, you know, which is strange because I... I don't really like them. It's not that I have like a moral issue with them or whatever else. It's like, I don't really like peas. You know what I mean? Like I rarely ever hear people give me arguments on why you should like peas as if it's a sin to like peas or not like peas. But anyway, um, we, we went because the ultimate argument kicks in whenever you have a birthday party, like, right? You, you do it for the children, right? You do it for the sake of the kids. So we, we went there and, um, uh, and so, as we're we're going there, um, at one at one point in time, we're we're kind of enclosed in this area. It's where all the gorillas are, um, which <laughs> which it makes me a bit nervous. Nobody really knows how strong a gorilla is, and so you know everybody's up there against the glass, and this one gorilla in particular would kind of. I don't know if they prance, do they run? I don't know what they do. But anyway, he's moving back and forth and he popped the, the, the glass. <laughs> and you know, everybody kind of jumped back and then they go back up and look. And I, it's just like making me nervous because I'm like, you know, we're, we're, surra <laughs> we're surrounded by wild animals. There were a bunch of workers that were out there, not around the animals, but they were, they were, they were casting all their food out. And so I'm like, we're dangerously close to lunch, basically. You know what I mean? And surrounded by <laughs> these animals. And so it's like, at some point in time, I was just like, I've just got to move on. 
And, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at it. There's all these barriers, but, you know, they've got, they got barriers, but then they enable you to still see what it is that the animal's doing. So, you know, they got the glass and things like that. And, you know, you come around and there's, you know, there's barriers and there's, you know, things to block. But, you know, they, they set it up to where you can still see or, or they lay out the land so, you know, that they've got hills and you've got places that you can, you know, climb up the stairs so that you can look down and see what the animals are doing. And this one, um, this one young gorilla came out because they let him go for, uh, for lunch. <laughs> and I, they had cast out like carrots and lettuce, bok choy. I don't really know what the, there was a bunch of vegetables that were scattered everywhere. And this one young one, he took off going up the hill and there was this massive bag of of vegetables that he grabbed. He grabbed this whole big brown bag and he took on up, up the hill to get away from everybody. Well, then you eventually couldn't see him anymore, but like, you know, he was trying to get away and, and get lunch all to himself. And so, well, we couldn't see him. Everybody was kind of laughing because, you know, he was working really hard to get away from everybody and, and his big sack lunch. And so then I go up. So then we kind of going up the hill and then we could see him and he was there and he was eating by himself and enjoying himself. And I kind of got thinking about it. It's like, well, you know what? There's all these barriers that are there to protect everybody, to protect all parties involved, the animals as well as the people who are involved. But it's set up in such a way that the barriers the barriers protect, but they but you've got to you've got to arrange things in such a way that you can still see and have the experience that you're looking for is to see these animals operate, see these animals live and move and interact with one another and interact with the environment that's around them. So they have the glass, so they have the steps, so they have the hills, so they have the modifications, all these things, because if you just have the barriers and you just have you know, the walls and the concrete and the whatever else, the moats and whatever else that you put in place, you're not going to have the same kind of experience. All the barriers will get in the way and you won't be able to experience what it is that you're there to experience, which is to see the animals that God's made. And, and oddly enough, there's some parallels to that in the Christian life. You see, the Christian life is built, it's built around certain fundamental truths. One fundamental truth that it's built around is that there are barriers to life. Life has inherent difficulties in them. Like some of these difficulties are because of things we've thought, said, and done that have displeased God that we call sin. And so sometimes we make our life harder by our own sin. But there's also barriers that happen as a result of suffering. Maybe things other people have thought, said, and did that have impacted us, but it gets in the way and we can't progress through life. Maybe it's because of what we've done or maybe it's because of what's been done to us. But there's also barriers that take place in, in this world because it's under the judgment of God. And because we have a real enemy and his name is Satan and he tempts us and he makes our life hard and difficult because he He's in opposition to us because we belong to a God that he hates. And so there's all kinds of barriers, but God has enabled us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God has enabled us through the truth of his word. God has enabled us by belonging to, to the church, to the community of believers, to, 
to be able to move forward and to be able to get to the higher places, to be able to get to places that we can see, to be able to progress through life. He's enabled us and he's equipped us in such a way that the barriers that take place, whether it's because of what we've done or what's been done to us, or it's just a result of the brokenness of this world, that these barriers don't have to completely get in the way to where we can't follow our Lord Jesus. And so he has all kinds of means by which we can get to the higher ground, so to speak, that we can see through, that we can access the presence of God. And the writers of Scripture realize this, they know this, and they write in light of it, including the gospel writer Matthew. Matthew holds to the fundamental truths of the Christian faith, that there is one God, that he exists in three persons, that God the Son is Jesus Christ who has come into the world and he will be called Jesus, Matthew 1.21. He will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Their sins are what gets in their way, but Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to overcome the most basic, fundamental, and, and destructive problem that we all face, and that is the reality of sin. And because he's coming, He's going to overcome those barriers and the believers now have hope and that hope will enable them to overcome the sufferings that they experience. It'll enable them to rise up. It'll enable them to see clearly. It'll enable them to persevere. And so it's with these things in mind that I pray you hear God saying to you today, these three words, hope overturns suffering. My sermon just boils down to three words. Hope overturns suffering. There's three ways that hope overturns suffering according to this passage here in Matthew 27. First, hope overturns suffering by silencing the noises of the moment. First, by silencing the noises of the moment. Second, by bearing the weight of pain. Second, by bearing the weight of pain. And then third, by enabling us to see the hand of God. First, by silencing the noises of the moment. So in the passages before us, as Katie has read, we have Jesus stands before Pilate. And by this point in time, you have to understand, the gospel writers will move along through the ministry of Jesus. But what all the gospel writers do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all slow down and they get very detailed surrounding the events of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There's a certain pace to the gospels, but they all slow down whenever we get here. And they provide a lot of details. By this point in time, when Jesus is finally before Pilate, right before he will be condemned and crucified, he has experienced six trials, three Jewish trials and three Roman trials. And he gets to a point in time where what you will see that he does, you will see him devote himself and commit himself to fulfilling the plan of God for his life and for the rest of us. And he will do that through barely saying anything. Look here with me in verses 11 through 14. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. 
Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony you are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. So what you have here is you have this interaction between Pilate and between Jesus. And so Pilate brings up the charge. There was all these charges that were being brought against Jesus. And one of them was, he says he's the king of the Jews. Now, why is that significant to Pilate? Well, Pilate's a Roman emperor. And if you remember at the birth of our Lord Jesus, or shortly after his birth in Matthew chapter 2, whenever he's a probably a toddler, the wise men show up and they say to Herod, hey, we're here to worship the king of the Jews, dot, 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 and that's not you, Herod. And they don't take kindly to that. And that was part of the political reason for the slaughtering of all the children and, or all the baby boys in Bethlehem because they don't do multiple kings in a region. Not the Romans, at least. And so what he brings up to them is, he, they say you're the king of the Jews, dot, dot, dot. You realize that means treason against Rome. And Jesus says, in essence, those are your words, not mine. I didn't say that. It shows the wisdom of our Lord. He's not giving Pilate what he wants. You will see from Pilate, Pilate is weak. One of the things that it's clear from the scriptures is Pilate is a weak leader. He doesn't want responsibility. He's always trying to pass the buck. He's always trying to say, this is not my fault. I wash my hands. I'm not responsible. The reality is, is that Pilate wants nothing to do with this. But the, even to this day, we remember Pilate as the man by whom Jesus Christ was condemned and crucified underneath. He tried to skirt tail the responsibility, but it didn't go away. And then Jesus responds by saying nothing. Now, what's significant about that? In Roman law, if the accused would not speak, they were immediately condemned to die. Immediately. The Romans had a three, three opportunities to, to, to testify in your own defense. You got three opportunities. And so what would happen, you could imagine some people would drag it out. I mean, if you, know that, if you know that you're your own lawyer, so to speak, and the person that you're testifying to has the ability to condemn you to die, there would be a lot of strategies that use, you could use. But one of them is, hey, maybe if I just keep on talking and talking and talking, I'll just exhaust everybody and they'll say, you can just go home, get away from us. Jesus doesn't do that. He didn't say anything. And do you know what that does? That speeds up the process. It's making it go on faster. And so he's got all these people speaking, all these people saying, all these people doing these things. And so you have the crowds are getting more and more vocal and they want blood. It'll say in Matthew, they are driven by self-interest. Other translations will say more powerfully, they are driven by envy. Now, what is envy? Envy is this internal desire for more. It's rooted in a dissatisfaction with what you have. And the crowds want more and what they want more of is they want more blood. 
and they want Jesus's blood. They are so concerned about the moment. They will say, it's tragic, but they will say, let his blood be on us and on our children. Now, generally, when you think about your children, you're thinking about their future. You're thinking about your own future at one level, but you're also thinking about their future. But they are caught up in the moment. You have to understand, in Matthew 21 is what we call Palm Sunday, and the crowds are shouting, Hosanna in the highest. He's the King of David, and he's finally come. And now we have six days later, from Matthew 21 to this passage in Matthew 27, we have six days. And they went from shouting praise to demanding blood. The political climate changed so unbelievably quickly. And you have, in the changing of the political climate, you have Pilate not wanting any problems, not wanting a riot on his hand because that's not good for him. Because his Roman superiors don't take kindly to weak leadership. And you have him wanting to throw up his hands. You have the crowds demanding more. Some are vocal and bloodthirsty. Pilate is vocal and weak. And then there's Jesus, who is silent and strong. In spite of all the changing political climates. The political climate changed quickly in Jesus' day. Political climate changes quickly in our day as well. I don't know if you've noticed, but it sure does seem like the political climate has changed quickly in our day, and it seems like it's intensified. Now, I haven't been around Sojourn for the longest of, of tenures, but I've been around for a while. And one of the things that I appreciated about our church is that our church our church would say we are different people from different backgrounds and we can even disagree on even, even very disagreeable kind of things and hold to those views passionately. But what binds us all is our sacred confession, that is Jesus is the Lord. And we love you as a brother and sister more than we love whatever our political affiliation is. And there was a, it seemed to me there was a, there was a culture of political tolerance, if you will, and I noticed that outside the church, the political climate has intensified. And what I've also noticed is the political climate inside of our church has intensified. Now, maybe I have a faulty memory. You know, I was born in Indiana, and, and Hoosiers are kind of notorious for being overly nostalgic about the past, so maybe it's my faulty memory. But I don't think so. I don't know what happened. But I, I know at least from the feeds on the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, and the like, that the political discussions, and Pastor Bobby touched on this a little bit a couple of weeks ago when he says that social media is a poor place to have political squabbles, but I'll just keep going with that. But I don't know what exactly took place, and I don't know why it is that people want to boil everything down to, well, if you don't agree with what I believe about whatever the political matter is, then clearly you don't understand the teachings of Jesus. 
maybe that's the case. I never knew. Or then there's this version of it, which is the more common one, which is, well, if you don't agree with me, then clearly you hate the children and want grandma to die. When did that become okay? When did all the hateful political, political rhetoric become okay? Like, I know what happens outside the church, but I kind of come from this standpoint from 1 Corinthians 5, which is God will judge the world. It's our responsibility to judge those inside the church. And I just don't know when all the hateful political rhetoric became okay. The way we apply this is one, we've got a decision to make. Are we going to decide? Are we going to decide to handle ourselves as a Christian regardless of what your political view is? Because as far as I can gather, regardless, we're to speak the truth to one another in love. Like, we won't reach the world with the gospel, and we won't build up people as the church, and we won't send them out into the world if we fracture our unity over politics. Like, you realize the political climate's going to change again. It's going to change. It doesn't matter. And you realize we're going to have another hard election season again. So guess what we're going to do? I'm going to be in front of it, and I'm just going to say right now, you have to decide how you're going to handle yourself. And if you're going to handle yourself with political, hateful rhetoric, then go somewhere else. It's just not necessary anymore. It, those of you that are looking online, you can go ahead and log off now. If you're going to handle yourself with hateful political rhetoric, be somebody else's problem at another church. It's not necessary. And you can't justify it based on Scripture. With that being said, I'm going to say this once, and so I'll say again. You, I'm not telling you what political party you have to affiliate yourself with. It doesn't matter to me if you're for the demon rats or the reprobates or whoever they are. It does matter to me that we maintain some sort of unity in this church. You have a decision to make. The next time there's a hard election season or whatever the excuse is, whatever it is, you have a decision to make that you will at the least handle yourself like a Christian. Because the climate's going to change. You can't, you can't break the unity in this church. And don't compromise your own conscience. And that's not easy to do, is to maintain your conscience while also treating people in love. But with that being said, if you can't do it, then do this. Let's make it all our prayers. God, enable us. Enable us to speak the truth in love. Enable us to love one another, regardless if we agree or not. Let's make it our prayer. Lord, lead us not in temptation. Like there's this ongoing temptation that's taking place all over the place. So we're not limited to it. There's all this temptation to think that all our solutions are going to be handled by political endeavors. And it's just not true. There's always been this ongoing temptation out of Christians to think that the state will deliver us. And we can't give in to that temptation because as soon as they're for us will be as soon as they are against us. Jesus was worshipped in Matthew 21 on a Sunday. And then what happens? The political climate changes. And on a Friday, they are begging for him to be crucified. 
And we're fooling ourselves if we think the political climate wouldn't change that quick against us. So let's ask God and say, God, please lead us not into temptation. Because if we're going to move forward, folks, if we're going to move forward, church, we can't let the noises of the moment get in the way. We'll only intensify our suffering. Second, by shouldering the weight of pain. So yesterday when I was there at the zoo with with my family, my youngest was walking and he's got some he's got some physical needs with physical therapy and I was noticing that his right foot was turning inward as we were walking up the hill looking at the animals and and his mom noticed because she's good about this kind of stuff that he was getting tired and sitting down a lot and so she has a bag full of you know, random treats and granola bars and whatever else to help get through. Because if you haven't noticed about kids, um, the more tired they get and the more hungry they get, the more likely they are to bite somebody's face. So, and we, we have a no face biting rule in our home. Like regardless if you're sick or tired, you can't bite somebody's face. That's, I think it's pretty low expectations on things, but anyway. And so he was provided a granola bar, and as he was walking, his foot was turning inward. I was like, well, I probably ought to do my part. I don't have a purse full of granola bars. Um, and so I, I picked him up, and I put him you know, up on my shoulders and carried him up on the way as we went into the lion's den or wherever it was that we were getting ready to you know, go see a tiger during lunch. Was, was, you know, as you can tell, I really think it was a great idea. <laughs> And we got to the top of where we were going to, and then eventually I sat him down, and you know, he rode the carousel and had a great time or whatever else. One of the things I noticed about him, the same thing I've kind of noticed about myself, is whenever I physically don't feel well, there's a much greater temptation, much more likely to engage in sin. Like, have you ever tried to have a discussion about your finances with your spouse at about 11.30 at night after a long day of work? <laughs> People are laughing. You, you all have done, you've all done that, haven't you? Well, because physically, when we feel bad, the temptation rises. We may be more likely to give in to things that we normally would shun. We normally would realize was wise not to, not to involve ourselves with. Now imagine that with regards to what Jesus is going to experience. Imagine all the physical pain that he's going to go through and then imagine what all the temptations would be to respond. Look here with me in Matthew chapter 27, Verses 26 and following. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took him to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And he twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on its head. He put a staff in his right hand, 
And then he knelt in front of them and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And they had mocked him. They took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to be crucified. Now imagine Jesus is, they flogged him. A Roman flogging, they generally would whip you 39 times because the Romans were killing machines. I mean, they had it down nearly to a science and they knew that if they beat you 39 times, they would take you within an inch of your life because 40 and more would most likely kill you. Now imagine that that's what he is going through, the physical pain of it. And then imagine that the, that the mockery starts. I mean, imagine the physical pain of having a crown of thorns on your head, but imagine the shame and the mockery that takes place. But the ironic thing is, the mockery that is hurled at Jesus is true. Hail, King of the Jews. That's what he is. Later, people will say, you say that you're the son of God, and he is. You say that you're the king of Israel, and he was. You say that you're going to rebuild the temple in three days, and he will. The temple of his body in three days. You say that you could save yourself will come down from the cross, but the ironic thing is, is he will not come down from the cross because he is saving people. And you know what you don't have out of Jesus ever in this stretch? No gotcha moments. No even saying, you're actually right, that's who I am. You don't even know what you're talking about. None of that. There is nothing but silence. How come? Think about the temptation. Think about it whenever you're hungry and how likely it is that whatever you strike out. Think about it when you feel bad, whenever you're sick. Think about all those things. Think about what the temptation is like that the smallest things get to you and then put yourself, imagine our Lord Jesus experiencing an unbelievable amount of pain, experiencing it all alone. Do you ever realize that when you're by yourself or when you're dealing with something alone, everything gets that much harder and he's got nobody. Nobody in this moment. And there's not a word. He is bearing all that temptation. And this is the nature of Christianity. Like if you're not a Christian, you have to understand this, that the Christian message centers around this person. And this is what we believe, that there is a God and his name is Jesus Christ. And he bore temptation, sin, and death. And he did it by himself so that you never have to go through those things by yourself. That regardless of who you are and regardless of what it is that you're dealing with, there is a God who cares about you. And your experiences of pain, suffering, temptation, or whatever it is, you never have to go through that by yourself. Because when you place your faith in our Lord Jesus, he brings you into his family and he will be with you no matter what you go through. Who needs that encouragement in your life? 
Christian, who needs that encouragement? We, we know from the Apostle Paul that one of the things that we do for one another is we bear each other's burdens. We are to be a burden at times. We're to share our burdens with other Christians. So who do you know that could use that encouragement? Maybe it's somebody who's going through a lot physically. Can you call them? Can you reach out to them? Can you let them know that what they're dealing with, they're not completely alone because they have our Lord and they have you. Who do you know that you could share encouragement with who's dealing with things? Because the reality is, is we all get to places in our life. We all get to times to where the weight, the weight of life or the weight of our bodies or the weight of conflict or the weight of finances or the weight of whatever bears down on us so much that it becomes overwhelming. How can you help? How can you help support somebody else during their time of need? Because the reality is, is whenever, have you ever got that from somebody, that somebody texts you or whatever and said, hey, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. And you kind of come back afterwards and say, you know, I really needed to hear that when you did that because these were the things that were going on. It gives you hope. It, it's, it, it's one of those things that like when you're going through those dark moments, you feel like you're going to fall into despair. But when you have somebody in your corner, you have somebody there who will support you and love you, who will be there for you. It's like, you know what, I've got, a, I've got a little bit more gas in the tank now. I've got a little bit more reason to persevere. Can you give somebody that kind of encouragement and help them deal with that? Because one of the ways that hope will overturn the suffering is whenever we, we come together and we, we help bear the weight of pain. Because that's what our Lord did for us. And then third, by enabling us to see the hand of God. Something in this passage that you don't see. You don't see any reference to God the Father in it. You don't see any reference to God the Son. Or you don't see any reference to God the Holy Spirit. I... I correct myself. You do see reference to God the Son because Jesus Christ is God the Son. But you don't hear any reference to God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. You only see God the Son. And you don't find a word that is most common in Matthew. You don't see the word fulfill or fulfillment. You don't have anything about that. You don't have what you typically see in Matthew, which is these things happen so this would fulfill what the prophet said, or these things happen so that it would fulfill what David said, and so on and so on and so on. You don't have anything about fulfillment in this passage at all. And so does that mean that God's not at work? Does that mean because we can't hear the explicit voice of God, he's not speaking? Because the only things that we hear are mockers. The only things that we hear are their mockery. The only things that we can envision is the noise of the crowd and their desire for blood. The only thing that we can see the only thing that is felt by Jesus is the physical pain and him experiencing the wrath of God, whatever that experience would have been like. 
Have you ever had those moments in your life where the only thing you feel is pain? The only thing you hear are, are words that are hurtful and discouraging. And the only thing you see is ongoing conflict. You ever found yourself saying, where's God in all that? Isaiah 55 says that God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Psalm 77 verse 19 says that God leads his people through the waters, but we don't see his footsteps. And it's similar to this passage. Like, how come Jesus doesn't say anything on his behalf? Well, there was a promise in Isaiah 53, verse 7, that says, when he is led away like a lamb led to the slaughter, he will be silent. And so God's fulfilling his word. Why do they cast lots? Why do they divide up his garments? Well, because Psalm 22 said that's what was going to happen. Why do they pierce his hands and his feet? Well, because Psalm 22 said that that was what was going to happen. Why do they give him sour wine mixed with vinegar, gall? Why do they give that to him? Well, because Psalm 69 verse 21 said that's what was going to happen. And we can go on and on and on of all the scriptures that are being fulfilled. And yet God does not say ever in this section this is what I was doing. I was fulfilling all these promises that were made hundreds of years ago because sometimes God is doing all kinds of things and you can't see a bit of it. Sometimes he is speaking his word even through the mouth of the mockers. Sometimes God is doing even wonderful things whenever our bodies feel all kinds of pain. God has an invisible hand that is always moving and active. He has an invisible hand that is always doing something. And God is always, God is always keeping his word, Christians. God is trustworthy for the fact that he makes a promise and he always follows through on that promise. And that's a reason to give God praise. Like it's a reason to be grateful that regardless of how bad your circumstances are, regardless of how bad they are, God is at work and he is doing good things. Whether you can see them, whether you can hear them, or even whether you can feel them or not, God is always doing something and he is always at work in your life. Sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's invisible. But God is always doing something. Or like the songwriter said, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. We have that truth in the word and we have it demonstrated in the Lord's Supper. Because you see on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine and after giving thanks, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook 
or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.